0: on weeknights from 6
1: on 2FM Thanks to the Johnnies. it's Friday the 27th of January and this is Game On Coming up today Allianz League football is back Brendan Devenny and Neil Ewing look ahead to the action In soccer Alan Cawley previews Arsenal versus Manchester City tonight and Fergal Brennan has the latest on the crisis at Everton Jane Mangan sets us up for the weekend's racing and in tennis Dean Ireland weighs up both finals in the Australian Open. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. Game On on 2FM. 2FM. Welcome along Alan Holly is with me in studio and he is head to toe and he's going out gear a cardigan even Alan <laughs> you must have a big party when you're when you're taking out the cardigan that's that must you mean business
2: you know when you pull out the cardigan that exactly I'm going to be throwing a few shapes tonight and that I mean business Marie I'm in good form you only have to listen to the two Johnnies for the last hour on a Friday to get revved up bring back the glory days of when I used to throw the shapes in Equinox <laughs> and Sligo Marie or Brendan Devenny and love know about the Hollywood and Bundoran they were the places to be when we were young Marie and um, it's a long time since I was in them places but I might throw a few shapes tonight yeah,
1: yeah well you look like you're all ready for action well um,
2: in, in three weeks time I won't get out on a Friday because I'll be going to League of Ireland matches so the countdown is on
1: where did that time go the I National League Football League is back today yeah, like yeah. this weekend as well and I, I'm i not ready for it I guess, and I even it.
2: think our off season is too long yeah because when you think back the cup final was there when were we at the end of November was it and I still think it's long but it's probably not now it's a couple of months it used to be a lot longer Mm -hmm. which was a disaster it's only a couple of months now but it still feels you do miss it like when when you're so used to going to the games on a Friday you do miss it
1: I think though because of the access that we get now from social media that you do feel more connected to it so like for the last few weeks I have been watching teams going back pre-season and mm. um, you're seeing them kind of back integrating into their club grounds and you're just getting a little bit more of an insight into what they're doing who's joining you're kind of you're seeing more unveilings because everything is just so much more Um, it's just so much more in your face
2: Yeah absolutely and um, and it's actually been quiet Marie as well which is a good thing because normally there's so much chaos around mm-hmm. this time with players leaving everybody out of contract but to be fair to the clubs things are slowly getting better and they're prepared now to offer players two and three year contracts which obviously um, makes them obviously in terms of keeping players around at the club for a lot longer sustaining teams that you're only having to maybe turn over four or five players each season rather than it used to be 10, mm-hmm. 12 almost changing your whole squad so that w- that can only be a good thing and a positive as well so it actually is a lot quieter um, in terms of the comings and goings players and all that kind of stuff but there was a really important one last night and I'm not sure if you, if you got wind of it uh, but Adam O'Reilly- Riley who was at St Pat's last mm-hmm. year who was probably one of their best players and had a real impact on the league itself not just on St Pat's, he signed for Derry last night and again you look at Derry the recruitment over the last 18 months since Rory has gone in, winning the cup final this is the year that they're going to challenge Shamrock Rovers pro- properly to a title challenge um, and that's a serious signing as well because he's very very good O'Reilly.
1: Yeah with David Snead on last night and uh, he was making the point that because of the way things are now with the UK and maybe not the same opportunities that there have been in the past for our young players it's becoming a young players league
2: yeah I think it's been a young players league for the past probably four or five years Marie to be fair like I go back to even when I was playing and you'd always have older lads in the dressing room Mm. senior pros which was always a good thing as well and sometimes I think that's missed from the league like it's 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 and it's probably due to circumstances you says with Brexit and finances that it's just become a younger like a a not a kids league but more a development league is what I would would call it now and the opportunities are there for young lads to make their way in the, in the league here at 18, 19, 20 and then go away and And to be honest with you Marie the amount of opportunities for lads I know you were speaking mainly on I suppose lower league lads and lower league teams last night but the opportunities for young lads now you only have to go back to last summer and I think 10 or 12 of our best young players all went to the UK mm-hmm. now you might class them as going to lower league clubs but they're going to clubs where they'll play and they'll get an opportunity and get a chance and for a young lad starting off now and I know we have in terms of the academy structures 13, 15, 17s, 19s, all that kind of stuff for a young lad now to come through that pathway and eventually play in a first team at maybe 18, 19 the opportunity to go to the uk now after off the back of maybe 50 games here is unbelievable for them you know it's a really great opportunity
1: yeah, and, and they're probably more accustomed to the environment as well because they have those national leagues now in place and they are, a lot of them are part of um, set that are, academies are now attached to the clubs and the structures are a lot better than they were maybe when you were young, Al.
2: Yeah, 100% the structures are and that's what I'm saying, like the, my initial point about it slowly getting better. It is, you can see that. Obviously, we want to get it, get it better a lot quicker than what it is. but um, And you only even have to look at the news coming out today about the prize money staying the same as mm-hmm. well. Like that needs serious kind of addressing as well. Now, I know the FEI are putting, To spin on it that it's a 30% increase over the last three years but it didn't change from last year either so that needs to certainly be addressed because when you think of the money that's on offer for the teams getting into Europe and getting through around Europe and then you look at a team playing 36 games and only getting 100 grand 125 for the winners 36 for the first division 12 grand for the women's league like that needs serious looking at Marie as well in terms of us trying to just to make the clubs better and Mm -hmm. the facilities better as you said for the young lads coming through with the structure because all the onus is on the teams here now to develop the players the days of English clubs developing our Mm. players is long gone so the onus and the responsibility for lads here to develop is all on the clubs now for the bigger picture stuff in terms of maybe going on to playing with the national team and I know you might think it's a, it's obviously a serious jump going from 13, 15, 17 to, to me talking about a lad playing with the national team but that's where we have to be focusing it on that you have to get the best standards in place for the young lads to come through that pathway then if they're good enough to go across the water 18, 19 they'll, then they will eventually represent their country
1: yeah and the young girls as well while we're at it Mm. it's great to see the structures improving for them as well Um, I don't think we're ever going to see the days though when we have uh, lads playing League of Ireland and Intercounty Gaelic football as well like we did with Brendan Devenny Brendan how would you get on now do you reckon?
3: I'll tell you what forget with the football Collier what a shout hey. listen I remember Equinox Sanadoos <laughs> but I might I might be able to take you on the soccer pitch and see in a dance store in trouble there everyone you in trouble
1: <laughs> you can still mix it with the young lads so is what you're saying Brendan well,
3: uh, uh, do you know honestly people used to say about the sport I obviously had to be I'd give a hip operation and that, BBC. Well, you played too much sport, actually. It was a breakdown for W, you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Well, Neil Ewing is on the line as well. Neil, did you ever frequent any of these places the two lads went to often by the sounds of it?
0: I think the two lads are showing the rage. No I Marie. knew he'd say that. I knew he'd say that. Uh, and to I've f- heard a few of the older generation around Sligo mention those names now, but any of the photos I've seen have been black and white. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair to Neil,
2: I was going to jump in and say that, Marie. We are a little bit older than Neil, so I'm not sure where Neil's place would have been when when he was coming tr- coming up through the the ranks. Ah, uh, I'm, I'm still in
0: the
1: ranks. <laughs> <laughs> but would you wear would you wear a cardigan on a Friday night, though? That's the question, Neil.
0: Oh, well, yeah, I wouldn't be one for style advice. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still not sure on the cardigan. Um, uh, maybe I'll bow to Alan better judgment on that one.
1: Yeah, I'd say Alan's kind of a law to himself when it comes to the fashion, all right. Anyway, we'll move on from the nightclubs and the fashion and to the fair this weekend because the National Football League is back, the Allianz uh, League's round one this weekend. And it's hard to believe that we are back. And look, Brendan, I was on with the two Johnnies earlier. And before I even look at any games or talk about any games... I have to start with the fact that Dublin aren't in Division 1 and it just feels so strange to think that when we're looking towards an All-Ireland and putting you know, near certainties up who will be contesting the, in the latter stages that the team that we think will probably be up there are not playing top-level football at the moment.
3: Yeah, I mean, but I think it's fantastic for the game actually and for Division 2 and, and for some of the teams that would never get maybe a proper crack at, at Dublin and what Dublin brings, particularly if they come to your home patch, and I think with, with Derry's season last season, you'd have to say that that's a phenomenal. They're going to be a couple of good Caldairs in there. Always going to give the dubs a game. We're hoping we're always hoping as a Kerry man said to me, the Cork boys are like mushrooms, they, they spring overnight, they spring up overnight. These teams can spring up. So we're hoping for the Cork comeback. And I think that division two is going to be fascinating because of the dubs being in there, me. And in many ways we, we get about set sometimes the championship and no harm to the dubs obviously won in the championship every season. Obviously took a lot of I suppose the the, the excitement out of it so now you have a team dropping down of, of their pedigree I think that's good for football because Division 1 was pulling away from 2 and the teams are coming mm-hmm. up quite often were getting relegated but I think what you're seeing now is teams that are maybe stabilising a bit better and coming into the league and you look at particularly obviously Common this year Like they will be so keen to stay, try and stay in Division 1 and and hold that thing and certainly you'd say dubs, the dubs will come up but they certainly make a Division 2 more interesting.
1: Yeah it definitely feels like a, a different landscape and, and as you said Brendan the top and the, the second now that they're kind of going back to meet each other in ways almost and maybe the dubs can take a bit of responsibility to that but just purely from um, an approach point of view Neil if you're a county not Derry who are in Division 2 are you approaching a little bit different knowing that you have Dublin in there who could like potentially look like winners already?
0: Uh, yeah, and even looking at Division 2, sort of from a wider context, it, it nearly looks like a division that's, that could be split in two, even yeah. from the outset. I think, you know, you're looking at um, Limerick and Lauda come up uh, from Division 3, you know, on the back of very strong seasons last year. You probably have Clare who's shown a lot of consistency, and you know, established themselves as a Division 2 team in the last few years. You know, I think a priority for them is going to be uh, securing their place in Division Two for next season, if they can at all. Then at the top, you have Dublin, as you said. You'd fancy them, especially with some of the the guys who have been reintroduced into the squad, and you know, Pat Gilroy, Pat Gilroy coming back on board. You'd fancy them uh, to get out of it. And then, you know, you're really looking at Derry, probably. They would have been disappointed not to get promoted last year, but they're probably even more disappointed this year that they didn't get promoted last year because, um, you know, it's it's not going to be easy to get out of that division with a uh, new, you know, new management team in made Colm O'Rourke. They are capable of, you know, stepping up from where they were last year. And, uh, you know, Brendan mentioned Cork springing up like mushrooms, but, you know, I think they've been slowly, slowly building, you know, they have had some underage success. John Cleary got a few months over them under his belt last season and I think the real interesting one in Cork is Kevin Walsh coming on board in the backroom team.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of elements and the amount of new managers makes it so intriguing because um, as anyone that's been involved in management, um, myself and i now do the under uh, eights and nines, but uh, at a high level, level, (laughs) uh, knows that it's often not what you expect it to be and and much more difficult and especially when you're kind of in the glare of the public eye and the pressure that comes with it. There's going to be a lot of people, I feel, under pressure, a lot of managers not getting at all asleep, doing all the video analysis and just trying to figure out um, and uh, understand what they got themselves into. Um, Let's go to Division 1 though because... um ultimately that's where we're we're going to look because more often than not the ultimate um, or the person the team that does come out on top in the Sam Maguire comes from Division 1 it could be different this year but uh, more often than not that is the case and we're going to start with Donegal and Kerry Brendan but not necessarily Kerry because um, there's a new manager in Donegal with Paddy Carr and a lot of the reports coming out um, of Donegal was that it's taken a little while for things to bed in there is no Michael Murphy obviously so um, things are going to look a little bit different and they're going to need some new leaders
3: yeah definitely um, you know Paddy and has been installed as the captain and you talk about big boots to fall mm-hmm. but listen I suppose Paddy's been around the block he's seen it all you know and I think he's one of the last links to the 2012 All-Ireland team you know he, what a player he's been for Donegal there had to come a time right, when this when this happened and I think what didn't help was the projected uh, nature of the, of the management and it left such a void of everyone asking what was going on what was this what was that then when finally the, the management was ratified and you know um, Aidan Rowe came in and Paddy Bradley came in as well uh, in a backroom team and they've amassed quite a big backroom team now which all county teams needed as well they then had to deal with injuries uh, there was people then didn't seem to be turning up for training and there was, there was different people are they going to commit next year are they not and the River Mill here in Donegal was, was off the charts. I've never seen any like it. So it. It was a tough, tough start for them all to, to get bedded in for so many reasons. Maybe Neil McGee retired as well. And I know Neil might not have be been a search starter, but surely you know a huge presence in addressing room along with the likes of Michael as well. So they've, they've, they've had to put all that aside. I think all people realise have gone into the season now, it's going to be a new team. It's going to take a bit of bedding. There's long-term absentees at the minute, Michael Langan, Oshin Gallon, Kieran Thompson, Paul Brennan are all long-term. So straight away, you know, you are going into a competition with, I mean, Shane O'Donnell, who's probably Donegal's best forward last season. He wants to take a break. He's studying up at DCU there. Um, so his brother, Niall is, is nursing a, a long-term injury as well. Paddy Morgan, uh, who was one of the bright sparks with Donegal as well in last year's terms of... He's in Liverpool and hasn't committed yet as well. So a lot of questions hanging over Donegal Mary, in terms of, you know, we're talking about new management and players and teams pushing up and getting better and better. And at the minute, you know, it's a very tough job for the for the new management to come in and do. But listen, you've got to be positive. It's a league. All Ireland Champions are coming to town. You know, they're certainly coming up maybe a bit threadbare as well. So it still should be a big day in Balboffay.
1: Yeah, like in in one way it's, it's good to go and play a team like Kerry because you really know where you're at, um, on the other hand it is Kerry coming to town and if they approach the league like they did last year, they're not going to want to lose any games whatsoever but Neil, Jack O'Connor has said they are behind the curve um, this year and of course it is Jack O'Connor so you do have to take with a little bit of a pinch of salt but to be fair to him, they're missing a huge amount of players uh,
0: Yeah, and we've seen last year just how rootless jack o'connor was when it came mm-hmm. to even the mcgrath cup and um, you know he came in he really wanted to make an impression we've seen uh, two guys playing sigerson um midday and then traveling uh, to be part of the squad for a sigerson cup game that afternoon you know that really showed jack o'connor w- was targeting every single competition i think you know winning that all out in last year is a huge amount of pressure off for curry a lot of unavoidable uh unavailabilities for jack o'connor this weekend I don't think he'll be as concerned as he would have been last year if he was entering the league down this this many players. I think, you know, a, a little behind for Curry um, is probably about par for a lot of other counties, even in Division 1. So, you know, I think even for him, it's going to be an opportunity to build depth in the squad. Uh, you know, Shane Ryan missing in goals, by all accounts, he might miss the next few weeks. You know, so I think that's one area Curry maybe do need a bit of depth in as well. Probably middle of the field, too. They've lost David Moore, and it wasn't an area where they had a huge amount of strength in terms of uh, a physical presence. So, um, you know, a, a good opportunity for Jack O'Connor to see what he has available there. And I think even Curry missing those players, they're going to get enough results uh, to, to make, maintain their Division 1 status. and I think for Jack O'Connor this year um, that might be enough whereas you know last year it, it was very definitely about going out and getting a, a, a national title in the league to kick off the year
1: Yeah and I guess Neil as well like a lot of the time if you can just get a couple of wins under your belt get a few points on the board and then just try and see it through to the, to the end of the league it's not a bad way to approach it when you're at the top
0: no, definitely not. Not when you're going to have players uh, like Curry are going to have coming back in over the next few weeks. You know, you're, you're looking at adding back in the Cliffords, uh, you know, Paul Murphy, um, Paul Geene coming back from injury, Sean O'Shea coming back from injury. You know, it, it, any squad, if they can have a result or two on the board and start to add in those players, um, you know, you, they're, they're in a pretty decent position. And I think with the introdu- introduction of the round robin even later in the year, I think it takes a some of the focus off the league this year as well, especially in Division One. You know, all those counties are guaranteed to be part of the race for Sam McGuire, and they're guaranteed. You know, three games at the height of summer, and um, so you know they're maybe not going to be as concerned with, with peaking and hitting the championship run in this year.
1: Yeah, it does have a different feel to it. All right, that's for sure. Um, one of the managers that will be under the spotlight is Kevin McStay. Um, Mayo play Galway this weekend. At Port Joyce has named a really strong uh, lineup He has eleven of the side that started in last year's All Ireland final. Obviously, Shane Walsh isn't one of them. But the Mayo team news is in as well. Um, McStay has handed out two debuts, and he's named Paddy Durkin um, as his captain. Brendan Deveny. And, and you know we're talking about players stepping away and, and big leaders and um, just those faces that. Aren't going to be around, and it feels like Mayo do as well. Need to start developing some more leaders.
3: Yeah, well, certainly they're they, they are the unique team, I think, in, in all the the Ga that we've seen, and certainly in the last ten yeah, to fifteen years, you know, they, they they've been the closest thing that could ever rock rock the Dubs when they're in the pump, but. Just maybe the timing of things. Sometimes in football, you can come in at the wrong time or the right time, and, and things can fall into place. But it's been a it's been a tough road for them. But they, they have so many leaders in there. And, listen, what a what a management team, huge experience, and you just know it's going to be very professional. in there with McStay, and, and of course Rodgers moved down there, and McHale and These guys they they obviously have you know come in there with massive purpose. And I suppose it's the kind of lift they needed because we keep thinking, we may were they going to get a wee bit... Are they gonna to have to like have a few very tough years and only drop down the division to come up again? But there's enough talent in there, and you see physically, me, there's there's enough ability in there. You just always think about the inside line and the scoring potential of them, and I think that's a big thing. And whether they want to run the ball as much, are they going to kick the ball? There's something maybe next day might put in them a bit more and maybe change styles a bit because that style that they have now, it gets you so far at times. But I think you always think they need just that wee bit of more. Uh, tactical ability and I think it's something that the that the management
1: people want to put in them Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, how they do set up because they do have such a breadth of management experience there and I can imagine that the different ideas and the different backgrounds uh, should lead to something a little bit different anyway and it should be good um, seeing them. Uh, we haven't actually touched on the Glen Kilm scenario because we haven't really got an update since yesterday. The latest it seems Neil is that um the suggestion is anyway that the McCull players are adamant that they're not going to play it, and that they are going to um, try and look into to ways to to counter the complaint from Glenn. Um Just from your own point of view, and obviously, you know, we hope to do see Shane, Shane Walsh back at intercounty action soon because he's such a, a brilliant player, lights up every pitch. Uh, how do you see this one playing out, Neil?
0: Yeah, I think uh, what Brendan touched on there in terms of how Mayo approach it is going to be very interesting. Uh, Kevin McStay has definitely made noises about you know using the kick pass a little bit more, and I see in the team named you know Conor Loftus continues at number six. There, you know, typically he would be known as a as a half forward, but a little in midfield last year, but definitely uh, you know a very talented kick passer. So you know, I think that's. A nod towards how Mayo might look to change their game a little bit, or and I don't even think change their game, but but add some variation Mm. to it. The the tides have probably turned a little in the Mayo Galway rivalry. Even in the last two years, you know Mayo were the established force uh, in Connacht. They probably had the upper hand on Galway, or they were definitely more dangerous or a more regular feature later in the championship than Galway. But and you know Galway, they're going to be very buoyed by last year and. And I think the big focus for Kevin Walsh this year is just going to be building a bit more depth in the panel. You know, even that all Ireland final against Curry, you know, was right in the mountain pot. It was probably the strength of the Curry bench uh, that decided the final ultimately. So, you know, that's, uh, I guess, typical of goal. They they can, uh, you know, get to a first final... In a long, long time, uh, and nearly win it. Whereas Mayo regularly got to finals uh, and weren't weren't able to notch one. So you know, it probably it's a nod to history there. is ability to to uh, believe in themselves and compete on the biggest stage. And um, Peter Cook from Moy Cullen coming back into the squad is going to be a big one. You know, he he was um, a very prominent player for them before. Uh, he had a stint working in the US then he was unavailable but you know he's won uh, a county championship with Mike Cullen Connor championship with Mike Cullen and uh, you know eight Mike Cullen players in that um of squads uh, so um, yeah as I said just building that bit of extra depth off the bench is going to be important for poor choice early on in the league I think
1: Brendan I think the reason though that this Galway team are, are, have established themselves at such a capacity is because of the stability around the management and Park Joyce staying on and I think you would say the same for Armagh as well with Kieran McGeany like we're not looking at Armagh anymore thinking oh they're under pressure Kieran McGeany's under pressure they need a, a big year it just feels that they just need to keep doing what they're doing and keep building on it every year and that's a testament to the fact that they've had that consistency and that the county have invested in um, having um, across the board a, a manager that's going to be there and has been allowed to put the structures in place and build on what he's
3: doing? Yeah, I think, Maria, it probably goes back to the stature of Kieran McGuinney. You know, you talk mm-hmm. about Boric Josh. I mean, who in the county board is going to exactly uh, go on the attack against players like that? They get a lot more birth. Yeah. Uh, well, they find uh, a way, uh,
1: those county board people, you know that. <laughs> well,
3: well... Uh, <laughs> The upper dealers are there. We could be. We could be on the rack after after a season. But you know, you you, you got to think that um, that uh, Joyce in particular, the way McGinni actually had a couple of very tough seasons there. Where mm-hmm. if it wasn't himself, I think he could have he could have went. But they stuck with him because they, they, they seen a They seen a plan and they seen, I suppose, a future that that they were going to that they were going to try and, and push through. Then I think Joyce, you know, he's. A shorter time in the job, but he came on talking big noises to me about did, winning yeah. all islands. And at the time, we weren't expecting that at all. Mm. And I, I just think mean, there's just a huge thing now be be marrying these seasons together between the length of some of these clubs. I mean, look at Cullen, You know, you're just talking about the, the, what they've been in, and I was just looking at Sean Kelly. That was a, I was up at the semi-final. There. That was the seventh semi-final of the season. I mean, it seems crazy that the players involved in that, and then he's supposed to be back playing the, the, the college again in Galway and. And I just wonder where do you drop it down to do lift it up? The league's coming fast, the championship's a couple of weeks after it. And you were you, you talking earlier about obviously the Cliffords and, and, and the Rathmore boys not coming back. Where, where do you get the time to break off to get back to that elite level of training? Because you're not training, obviously, at the same level with club. So it's a funny kind of spectator to not only get the body right, but I suppose then mentally, then how you approach. Uh, each competition because it's coming so fast we you need players to be at their best in the championship obviously the, when the provincials over we go into the group stages so it's becoming more I'm looking at this season thinking the whole season is a bit more leaguey than anything until maybe we get to a decent quarter or semi because pre that there it's like the, the provincials is a certain competition on its own and then you're leading into a, a, a group stage of, of championship which we, we know and we've seen from the previous ones they are a wee bit like a like a like a decent league game, so I think it's going to be a hard season to figure out. And I feel a bit sorry for the fellas at the very top of, of those club things and the fellas that are at Seagerson as well, because it just seems like they are really uh, being pushed to their limits in terms of how much they're playing and how much their life is devoted to, go to the GA.
1: Yeah, there's okay. It's, there doesn't seem to be any quick fix. There doesn't seem to be anyone who's figuring out the right way to do things. But they are there are positive noises coming out about the split season though and players, the ones that aren't involved all year round with the club seem to be enjoying the fact that they can actually look at a certain time of year and say, well, I have a week here or a week there and and can possibly get away but it does feel at the moment that it's so condensed and once it starts this weekend it is just you nearly blink and you're going to be at All-Ireland final time because there's so much to come but the one thing about this division uh, one Neil is that there's just so many uh, teams from Connacht and Ulster that it will probably start to feel samey after a while
0: uh, Yeah there's, there's definitely a, a bias in the northern half of the country in this division for sure um, the Ulster battles you know, they're always going to be intriguing Um you just wonder, you know, going, going into the Ulster Championship, you know, if teams have a few wins on the board later in the league, uh, will they be as keen to show their hand? Uh, you know, similarly with um Mayo Roscommon, Gol Roscommon later on in the league, you know, it's I guess gonna be dependent on team positions. I think Golden Roscommon played in the last league game last year and they also played in the um uh, the league final the week after. So, you know, very strangely playing your your conic opponents um uh, two times in quick succession before a kind of championship. championship um, so yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see how management teams approach that and you know I, I yeah I'm reluctant to say it but I just don't think the, the penalty of going down to Division 2 will be seen as as big a punishment as it was in previous years uh, for managers this year so I hope that doesn't take away from uh, you know the compelling National League that we've had for the last few years
1: yeah, it's an interesting one because of the amount of jeopardy that's involved this year with Division 2 and the the way that Sam Maguire is going to play out and how you qualify for it and who doesn't qualify that you really need to be up at the top of Division 2 to guarantee um, that you have that Sam Maguire football. So I'd say that once it gets going there will be a lot of intensity in that Division 2 and um, Division 1 will, may seem like an attractive prospect depending on how it all plays out especially for the new manager as we mentioned Armand um, they're playing against Monaghan Vinnie Corey t- at the helm. In there as well, and then you have Ross Common and uh, Tyrone Davy Burke, the new manager, in there. In Ross Common, um, Brendan Tyrone, I feel that we don't really know where they're at at all after last yeah. time.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. That's, that's a fair enough uh, analysis. I mean, we, we've never seen. I don't think I can't remember since it was a second chance where a team wins on Ireland and get bang bang knocked <laughs> out. And I know it was a different season because not everybody was in it, and you can forgive them for that. But, you know, uh, Logan and Dewey obviously took over and there was so many question marks about, like, uh, had they enough experience for it, had they this or that. And they had a dodgy enough start where I, I seen a couple of guys call and say, "Why? what happened there? And then the turnaround, the ball turnarounds. and said, I know it was, you know, in COVID times and all that, but they actually swept in All-Ireland. I mean, they were brilliant. They changed the game a wee bit too, mate. From from and down, sitting in their shell and hearts time, they actually, they went man for man. They kicked past the ball and they played more to their strengths. I mean, it was, a, it was an unbelievable season. But then the following season, to get dumped out of Ulster, I mean, Derry and Armagh, accounting for them, bang, bang. The same two teams that actually beat Donegal. And they're certainly on up. But listen, mate, they were the best team in Ireland two seasons mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. So you got to think at end of them this season, you know, um, they, they'll be back now. They lost heavily to, to, to Derry. Not heavily, but Derry outplayed them. And they just looked like they wanted it a bit more. And it was a McKenna a cup final and you're probably looking for a bit more from Tyrone you're looking at going god they don't really look right but then again they didn't look right a couple of seasons ago so I just think listen they have the pedigree they have the ability and Marie when you're up here there's different counties of, of footballing counties and Tyrone is just phenomenal like that everywhere you go every town basically in Tyrone is represented by its football team and Donegal you have a bit of that you have a bit of soccer you have the twin camshams, shams and you have d- d- different things going on but Toronto, they are absolutely nuts everywhere you go with football. And that comes through, I think, in terms of their championship. It's the best championship in Ulster, easily. It's knockout and it's, it's blood and guts. Uh, so I think like it, there's such a focus on them, obviously. They're always a team to beat on their ridge. They've made school system. And I think they always are producing and producing players. So listen, anything is possible for Tyrone next season. But then again, with the, the talent you have in, in, in Ulster at the minute, but but there's no one's going to be the five teams there in Ulster now. They can all beat each other in any given days, and that's what makes this thing interesting. But certainly Tyrone, from where they are, you know, in that dressing room, it's a, it's, a, it's a massive thing to know Listen, we can be the best in Ireland. So while they're in the gym and they're training, and they've more or less had a year off, I think they're a very dangerous team. Very strange performance against Derry is the same way, but certainly good in the league. You will want to want to play them um, uh, uh, because of the the way they play. They're always a tough uh, opposition, and still been you know, still a big for me.
1: Yeah, and I think when you look at the way what Jack O'Connor did last year with Kerry and how he approached the league, that a lot of counties will be looking at that. On it's not a bad way to to go and go hell for leather at the the time once it comes along. Um, Neil Ewing, Neil Rosscommon is the other one that we haven't uh, mentioned with Davy Burke at the helm. So they play Tyrone and. Um, again when a new manager comes in it's always going to be quite interesting to see how they end up uh, playing when they when they do when we do get to see them in the league
0: yeah definitely it's uh, you know uh, quite a task for Davy Burke to take on you know really uh, and this is a no way to, uh, to take away from what and have achieved and you know establishing themselves as a division one division two team but it's hard to see what success is for Davy Burke and Roscommon you know um, if he gets relegated there's probably going to be um, a certain amount of negativity in the county um, you know if they win the kind of championship it's something they've done over the last few years and even at that to, to do that is going to be extremely difficult now and you know really they're looking to push to that next level which will be an All-Ireland semi-final you know establish themselves in the top half of Division 1 and I'm just not sure if they have the players to do that to kick on to that next level and that's probably more reflective of the quality in the next level you know in terms of population Roscommon are, are really really overachieving they're the envy of a lot of um, counties around the country so you know it's, it's a big task for Davy Burke to take on He's added Mark McHugh from Donegal you know, comes with a decent reputation from his coaching work with the Donegal ladies mm. Jerry McGowan, who was a Sligo man who was involved with uh, with Claire the last number of seasons, has also joined the backroom team there. So, um, you know, not only is he an interest in Whiteman himself, but the backroom team is interested. Um, I have heard noises that he's going to look at some younger players, you know, give a lot of young guys their chance. Uh, David Burke obviously won another 21 All Ireland with Kildare, so he has that uh, that connection with youngsters. That, you know, he's used to, to blood and young uh, young faces. So, um, yeah, I just think they're going to have to find, uh, you know, a, new, a few new players at another level. Uh, they have probably 20, 23 fellas at a very, very similar level. They need probably four or five. As well, as you know, a little bit of um, an X factor or something a little bit different to kick them on to the next level, and you know, for Davy Burke, it, it, it's going to be difficult to do that. It's probably going to take two or three years. So, you know, step one for them will be consolidating in, in Division One this year, and, and then you know, having a rattle to the nasty side of the county kind of championship uh, they have to play about my own goal even to get to a final. So, um. Yeah, a difficult year ahead for Roscommon in terms of what looked like success, and it's going to take a little bit of patience from Roscommon supporters who, while they're extremely passionate, would not be renowned for their patience.
1: OK, well, it is upon us now. Um, it'll be on all over the weekend and we will be reviewing all the action on Monday's programme as well. Brendan and Neil, thank you so much for joining us. Once I got into it, well then been. I really enjoyed it because I was uh, apprehensive that I wasn't ready for the league to come back, but now I'm actually looking forward to it. So you did your job, Brendan and Neil. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, too much boardroom <laughs> talk this <week. laughs>
1: yeah. Get to the pitch. <laughs> Talk to you soon. We're going to take a very Thanks. quick break. Thanks, Marie. And take care. Uh, we'll be back with football. Welcome back. It's now time to turn our attention to football. Alan Colley is with me and studio Fergal Brennan joins us on the line. Fergal, we have to start with Everton because it's been such a saga over the last few weeks. Everything that's been happening with Frank Lampard, with the club, with the fans, with the board. It's been ongoing and it has been drama filled. And now the drama looks set to continue because Sean Dyche (coughs) is in line to be the next manager.
4: He is indeed. Um, I'd expect it probably to be wrapped up over the weekend. Um, I've been sitting here most of the day waiting for the press release to drop from from Everton to confirm it. Um, I think there are still a few little bits to get to get ticked off, but I fully expect it to get done um, well before their next Premier League game, which is all the way through to next weekend. Because they're not in the FA Cup this weekend. Um, there's plans within the club to go away for a warm weather training camp this week to kind of get Dyfe settled in, getting. Chatting to the players, get his message across, and, and what he's going to be expecting and, and demanding of them. And obviously, all the talk about himself and Marcelo Bielsa being the two candidates. Personally, from from me looking at the situation and, and speaking to people who are directly involved with Everton, I think Dyche was always the more likely option. And um, I think there's a lot of support for Bielsa getting it, and I think Bielsa is a fantastic coach. But given the time frame, given all the pressure surrounding the situation I think Daesh was was an inevitable choice really Um, probably going to be a two and a half year contract I think they're bringing him in obviously with the immediate brief of digging them out of the hole that they are in at the moment and then in the summer they'll address transfer budget and looking to build uh, for next season but obviously the most important thing for now is trying to get them out of this mess in the Premier League and then move forward
1: Alan is he the right man for the job?
2: I like Sean Dyche I always have Uh, he did a brilliant job at Burnley as we all know Mm -hmm. well established Premier League manager and I think because of the situation and the position that they find themselves in Murray between the two names as Fergal said there Bielsa and Sean Dyche I think it's certainly the right one out of those two and I think (coughs) it's the right one in general anyway Bielsa there's just so much noise and chaos around him and at the moment that's all there is around Everton at the moment there's noise and chaos I think what it needs is exactly someone like Sean Dyche who's measured and balanced a calm head who has all the experience of being in that position in the Premier League um, and I think it's a really good appointment it's probably an appointment they should have made two or three years ago when he was linked with the job but I do think he's had enough time out of it now he's probably refreshed and ready to go big club Everton I know it doesn't seem like that at the moment but they are a very big club um, and I do think it's the right appointment and it's a good appointment
1: Fergal was there a talk that Bielsa wanted the Everton under 21 job first
2: I think that's a
4: bit of kind of social media nonsense that's been floating around I think that's a, more of a connection with the, the way that Bielsa, op, Bielsa operates he wants to be in control of almost every aspect of the playing side of a club when he takes over and it was it was the same with Leeds he was massively involved in, in the youth setup up and looking to bring players into the first team I don't think that was that was a consideration and I don't think he ever he would ever accept that job but it's again it's it's an indication as, as Alan mentioned there of two incredibly different strategies between Bielsa and Dyche Dice is someone that the task at hand he's an excellent candidate to deal with Marcelo Bielsa if you're looking to build a culture if you've got three four months on your side summer pre-season or even a World Cup break he's someone that you would go to but in terms of the here and the now it, it was always going to be Sean Dyche and I'd expect it to be Sean Dice within the next 48 hours
1: or so I can't imagine Bielsa giving Sean Dyche like player reports and stuff from the 21s <laughs> <laughs> um, just on Everton before we we move away from it the talk about um, it been sold or some of it been sold or um, the board and the owner has been open to investment is that the situation that the club are in now or is it again just uh, reports
4: I think it's a situation where Farhad Moshiri is open to a sale I think he himself is potentially having concerns in the long term about his role at the club and obviously it's been very negative over the last 12 months in terms of the fans and protests and banners being held up and that type of situation I think a lot depends on Daesh getting them out of this mess and them still being a Premier League team next season and obviously building in the longer term towards their new stadium I I get the impression from Moshiri's stance that he's he's come out and said he's committed We know that often that doesn't always mean uh, exactly what it it says on the tin in in that sense, but I think he himself would be open to a sale. The issue now is for a potential buyer, they would want to come into Everton and see a profitable opportunity, which means Premier League solidity the potential to build towards Europe and I don't think any of those situations would come about until the new stadium is is open they're playing there and they're a Premier League team so I don't see it being in the short term but I definitely think
2: it's something that Moshiri would consider
1: Alan when you're heading, when you're heading to your party tonight are you going to be asking them to turn on the United City <laughs> Arsenal
2: game? I'm not going to the party unless it's on <laughs> I've already told them that um, no I am I'm really looking forward to the match I've been thinking about this most of the day and just in terms of the approach if I was Arteta I wouldn't be all that disappointed if I went out of the FA Cup to be quite honest with you Marie whereas Guardiola to be fair to him one thing he's always done since he's come into the country managing Man City is that he's always targeted all the competitions of course to have the squad depth to cater for that um, and that'll be no different tonight so I do envisage changes on both sides but I certainly think from Arsenal's point of view it wouldn't be the end of the world if they were to go out I know psychologically some people might think well they'll get the upper hand maybe if Man City were to beat them or if they were to beat them comprehensively or anything like that I don't think that'll be the case uh, I think it'll be a competitive game and maybe by the odd goal whoever wins probably fancy Man City purely from the point of view that I just think Arsenal at the moment have bigger fish to fry in terms of the league and they'll never have a better chance Marie the position to find themselves in at the moment and um, basically the momentum that they've built up as well over the course of the season so far I think they're the favourites for the league right now at the moment and I think Arteta should be putting all his eggs into that basket
1: Fergal would you agree just given how much footballs have to be played in the league and how hard it is to win silverware
4: yeah I, I would particularly in terms of this idea that Arsenal's position now they've never had it so good, or certainly not for a very, very long time. And Arteta needs to balance what is a thinner squad and a younger squad than that Pep Guardiola has at City, and he needs to to cut his cloth accordingly. Obviously, no Arsenal fan or, or him or the players or whoever is going to say that you know they take a one nil defeat tonight so they can concentrate on the league. Of course not. But I think they do they do have to be pragmatic about the situation. There's the FA Cup, there's the Europa League coming back next month as well. It is very demanding, and they do have a much smaller squad, not just the Manchester City but the Manchester United and Liverpool and other teams in and around them and they are a very young squad, they've passed every test so far with, with flying colours you can't doubt them on that but as the old adage goes, there is still a lot of football to be played and Arteta is a very practical, pragmatic minded individual and I don't think if they lose tonight, I don't think he will be tearing his hair out and worrying that this is a great slide from his team but I don't know. It's an incredibly difficult one to call because he's very prickly about the situation with Guardiola. I think Guardiola's kind of annoyed him in his press conference this week by pretending to kind of compliment him and, and then, you know, give him a bit of a pat on the head. So I think I think Arsenal and Arteta will have a bit of a reaction tonight. But ultimately, if they do get knocked out, it's not the end of the road for them this season. No.
1: Yeah, and I, and I get that. And I, I saw. Um... I saw what Pep was at during the week and we've seen him kind of go down that road where he's quite condescending really and trying to be funny but I, I never actually get it. Mm. But Alan, like, there's they're going to have to play each other in the league twice I think now. Mm. Do you want to start losing to them? Even if it is only the FA Cup?
2: No, of course you don't want to start losing to them, Marie. And that's the point I was making about psychologically. It's, is it giving them the upper hand if Man City beat them tonight? Possibly, but I still don't think it will... I still don't think it will put a lot of fear into Arteta's mind come the league games if they were to lose tonight because the momentum that they've built up in the league with the full strength team that's why I'm so interested to see the team that he picks will he make the changes if it was me certainly Marie I would be focusing everything on the league at the moment that's not to say you're going out tonight and throwing the FA Cup by any means it's a big game he'll want to win it there'll be players that come in maybe that if he does make changes that'll want to impress the manager and get themselves into the first team all that kind of stuff but I just think the position that they find themselves in at the moment especially when you've no Chelsea, Liverpool in the mix this year all they're really vying with at the moment is Man City possibly United but I can't see that but certainly for Man City they're obviously their nearest rivals and that's who they're going to go toe-to-toe between now and the end of the season whereas you come next year you'd like to think Liverpool might be back United will be a lot stronger Chelsea will certainly be a lot better you could be in the mix with four or five clubs where right now at at this moment in time the position to find themselves in I just think all eyes should be on that they have the Europa League coming up as well Again, I wouldn't be too too concerned or too worried about that. And as Fergal says, he just has to be pragmatic in his approach in terms of the players. Up to now, he's been quite fortunate as well, Marie, that he hasn't had many injuries to any of mm. the first team players or key ones, only Jesus at the moment. And he's been lucky with Enketia. Not really lucky, but has come in and filled that yeah. void. And it's almost as if we haven't even missed Jesus, mm. which has been like a huge compliment to Enketia, because we all thought if Jesus was to get injured, that could be the, the title challenge gone down the drain. But he's come in; he's been a revelation. I just feel if they were to get an injury to another couple, the likes of Party Zinchenko, one of the centre halves, maybe. So he just has to balance that. Um, But I certainly think with the game tonight, of course, he'll want to win against Pep and all that kind of stuff. But it wouldn't be the end of the world if to lose.
1: Okay, uh, Fergal, thank you so much for joining us. We will talk to you next week. Alan, stay with us because we have Jane Mangan and racing and the Thiers days to talk about. So you will no doubt have opinions on that.
0: 2FM
3: Game
1: on on 2FM Welcome back we are at the stage of the Australian Open when there are only four players left standing the men's and women's finals take place this weekend and to talk us through how they could unfold I'm delighted to say that Gina Nyland joins us on the line Gina have you enjoyed the last few weeks?
5: Hi Marie yeah it's been great I love the (laughs) expected but there's just something about it, isn't there? I don't know whether it's the atmosphere and the crowds or what, but uh, it's, it's great tennis to watch and it's been, hasn't let us down once again, huge excitement.
1: Yeah, it, really has, looking- yeah it, fe- it feels like it really delivered and I think maybe because it didn't have the same amount of controversy beforehand and it was, it was straightforward in ways that you actually just got to focus on the tennis, which is exactly um, what everybody wanted. Let's start with the men's final. Um, so Djokovic is there against Istapas. For you, how do you think this is going to play out? Yeah,
5: it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because both of them are playing fantastic tennis at the moment. I mean, Djokovic is Djokovic. You know, he he always plays well. Uh, but he's going for another bit of history here. This is unbelievably his 33rd Grand Slam final, which is just staggering, really. Um, he's won 21 of them. So he's going for number twenty 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 two, which would be equal uh, to Nadal. So, you know, there's a lot on the line for him there. Um, so, so a bit of pressure for him there. But Tiki Pass, um is playing some really, really great tennis, and um, he's had a, you know, a relatively easy run through the final as well, apart from his better um against Sinner. But I guess the big thing for him is he's never actually won a slam, and he's only played one final before, and that was against Djokovic in the French Open in 2021, where he lost it having had a two-set a two-set lead. So he will be nervous to play there, but he seems a much more kind of mentally controlled player now. At Tiki Pass. Mm-hmm. he seems to have sort of matured. Um, so I think it's going to be a really exciting final on Sunday. Um, it's hard to see past Djokovic the way he's playing, but so, um, it should be a great match.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it is set up to be a thriller. I think as it. well.
5: Yeah, I think as well the crowds will have a lot a big part to play here, right? Because Djokovic, um, with all his controversies and, and, and you know further controversy coming up with his dad over the last mm. couple of days, yeah. Um, you know, if the crowd get really behind Tiffy which they generally do because there's a lot of Greek support at the, Europe, the Australian Open, um, that could potentially be a factor there. But, you know, we'll see. Dockwich yeah. just looks at the moment. So what about the women's final? So
1: we have Arena Sabalenka and Elena Rybikina. Uh This one for you, Gina, how's it going to go?
5: Yeah, so both very, very similar playing styles. They're both big girls, both six foot tall, both huge hitters. You're not going to see long rallies. It's going to be boom, boom tennis. Um, I think the serve is going to be key for both of them. So whoever is serving best, I think, is going to win this. Um, Rybakina, of course, won Wimbledon last year. Um, and Two very different personalities here. So similar playing styles, but you couldn't be more different in terms of how, how they behave on the court. So Sabalenka is a real um, kind of aggressive style of player, heart on the sleeve. You know exactly how she's feeling out there. She's fist-pumping, she's grunting, she's giving it everything, she's playing to the crowd. Rybakina, on the other hand, is completely subdued. You know, doesn't show any emotion. Um, she's been there before as well, of course, having won Wimbledon last year um, and has a, had a tough group to is back in there. She's beaten some really top players. She beat Azarenka, she's beaten the world number one, Schwantek, on the way to the final, Collins and Ossipenko. So, I think Ravna is going to take this one. I think the experience of her having been in that Wimbledon final last summer will stand to her. And uh, You know, Sabalenka's been in three semis before, but never a final, first time in a final for her. So, it it really depends on how Sabalenka handles it I think but it should be a great match a lot of power hitting well it sounds
1: like it and I love your description boom boom tennis Uh, Gina (laughs) thank you (laughs) thanks so much enjoy (laughs) the weekend we'll catch you soon right from boom boom tennis to Jane Mangan Jane how are you?
6: I'm well, I'm more to the point How is Alan after his day's racing?
2: I'm good Jane, I'm good I enjoyed it immensely um, I had the winner of the big race as well Carefully selected And it was a great race And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Goran. And to see the crowds, Jane On a midweek day as well It was absolutely unbelievable, the turnout So a great day's racing I had a bird's eye view Literally out on the course as well uh, Looking at the, the jockeys and the horses and the whole lot So it was brilliant Jane, did,
6: yeah, it, it, did it live up to what you were expecting? It was. It was. There was eleven thousand, around eleven thousand people there. Um, the official figures yet to come out from Gorham Park, but it was marvellous because that's a Thursday. It's a standalone. There's not a Grade One, but that race, as I say, has a prestige to it. And I know we've spoken so much about Willie Mullins, his dominance, his brilliance, he's the champion for a reason. But he brought carefully selected back after an injury that kept him off the track for a thousand plus days. Um, so on his second run back to win a 100 grand prize is an amazing achievement and of course then we had Davy Russell winning the grade 2 on Hoopo so there was lots to talk about Sir so Gerhard jumped adequately to win his beginners chase which didn't look a very competitive event but that kind of whet the appetite for the weekend ahead Before we get on to the weekend ahead Jane there was a big
1: award for uh, John Hanlon Racing for Shark Hanlon Hewick winning the steeplechase horse
6: eclipse award and for people that don't know tell us how big this is the eclipse awards are the oscars in america for horse racing (laughs) and there's there's one national hunt prize and all the rest are for uh for the flat and champion trainers and champion jockeys and whatnot but for the shark handling with his 800 euro purchase who has won the galway plate and of course famously won the american grand national of far hills this summer to go over and scoop basically the oscar of, of of american horse racing for ireland he, he's won it for Ireland and he's won it for people who think that that's not possible. He's made it possible and uh, in his post-race or his post-award winning interviews, Oscar <laughs> winning speech, <laughs> shall we say, we he shall. got a little bit uh, emotional and, and rightly so because I, I think a lot of people would have thought that would never be possible. Oh, well, fair play to him. And then, Jane, this weekend? This weekend, the rescheduled Clarence House moves to Cheltenham and we have an ergamine Now, Willie Mullins just back on his point. He's on 3,999 oh, wow. winners and while he has five runners at Fairy House tomorrow and Ergumine could give him that elusive 4,000 winner in Grade 1 company courtesy uh, with Paul Town and He's to beat Edward Stone, Editor de Gite, but he of course is the reigning champion and he is your favourite. Also on this nine race card is the Cotswold Chase and this is a very interesting race because you have Protectorat, the horse that was brilliant in the Bedford Chase for Dan and Harry Skelton taking on Ye last year's seven-year-old entry grand national winner for Emmett Mullins and Sean Bowen now a fancy for the Cheltenham Gold Cup well if he's going to be winning the Cheltenham Gold Cup he'll want to be very competitive here against the likes of Protectorat Frodon and Ahoy Senior. you've got the Cleve Hurdle Paisley Park is back we saw the Hoopo throw his hat into the stairs hurdle ring yesterday for Gordon Elliott well Paisley Park has been and done it and he's back in the Cleve Hurdle and there'll be some, some familiar faces in the cross-country chase it's a handicap. On tomorrow's Cheltenham card, you see Manila Times making his cross-country debut for Henry de Bromhead and J.P. McManus. Delta work, of course, the, the horse, that the Grinch that foiled Tiger Roll's farewell at Cheltenham mm. last year. He'll be back at a track he knows well. and It's, it's a nine-race card because there's been a lot of racing lost in the UK due to uh, severe frost. So we're making up for lost time. And just to mention as well, for Sunday's card, at NACE. We see Bob Ollinger, the horse that has been so far very disappointing this season. He was at three miles in the Christmas Hurdle uh, at Leopardstown, and now he's back to two miles in the Limestone Lad. Albeit, he's a certain Echoes and Rain and Darasso to beat. Jane, that was great. Brilliant. Got it all in there. Thanks
2: so much. Great the racing pro.
1: tomorrow. <laughs> Happy weekend to all the sports fans. There's such a choice. Uh, thanks Jane and we'll also be so well informed about Willie Mullins tomorrow we'll see how he gets on um, we'll talk to you soon Jane enjoy the weekend and just before we finish up we got a nice text in um, from the people that were involved in the big splash for Little Heroes so they presented a cheque for sixty thousand four hundred eighty-four thousand to the Laura Lynn Hospice um, earlier today a brilliant cause and fair play to everybody involved in that Alan Colley you have a party to go to you get out of here Yeah. Um, the party continues here though Dermot O'Brien is in for blonded on the official chart show